press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, Ooh drama. drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, L-O-V-E, and life. I'm Connor McDowell. And I'm Dylan McDowell. You know, when it's just the two of us talking, Connor, I always think it's just for for our Drama Plus. Oh. I'm still getting used to this being for the crowd. Dylan, I had the same thought where I was like, oh, I definitely want to talk about that. But I was like... Hang on, it's not behind a paywall. I don't know mm-hmm. if I feel as protected as I do for the uh, the Patreon content, but that's so weird. Of course you thought the same thing as me. We're being twins again. Yeah, but you know, it's all good. I think that the first twin talk that we released went over quite well. Thank you to everybody for your feedback and your love. We had fun doing it. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to do here is just be our normal selves. You get to know the twins better. I also love it because we can be so topical. Oh my God. So there is a million things on my list that I want to discuss with you. I don't even know if we have enough time today. Well, I think that a good idea for today then would be to give what we can for the twin talk. And then as you suggested, it become exclusive at some point. So for those of you who are yeah, you never know. part of Drama Plus, you'll be able to hear the full conversation. Yes. We're like an OnlyFans where it's a free subscription. But then to unlock the really good content in the DM, you need to pay. Yes. And it's, sometimes it's $5, sometimes it's $50. Just kidding. For us, it's always five. It's always five. But on some of those OnlyFans, they really trick you. They do. You know, they're, I get that it's a business, but... It's a lucrative business. It's the, all budgeting. It's, it's a form of the oldest profession. It is. It is. It's a peep show, Although, though. It's exclusively a peep show. So that makes sense why Sonia Morgan from Real Housewives of New York would also be on OnlyFans. She has an OnlyFans? She at least did at some point during the pandemic where she would show, like, exclusive fashion? Um, okay. Guest appearances? I don't, I don't actually really know the extent of it, but I can only imagine her, like, sweet interns were... Yeah. You know, whittling away and helping. You know, famously, she had that intern called Pickles. <laughs> and also, she had that intern called Connor. Right, right? I remember that. Yeah. And, and when Tinsley was living with her, Sonia was so mad at Tinsley because she was kind of be- befriending Connor, the intern. <laughs> I and remember that. I remember, oh, yeah. It was like a whole thing because towards the, at the end of their tenure, it was a big thing because Sonia was like certainly ready for Tinsley to go, but she was looking for any reason. To force Tinsley out of the house. God, those are such fun days of running. I mean, the stakes before, were never that high. Was that before or after Tinsley lived in a hotel? She moved in with Sonia first, and then, and then she went to the hotel. Okay. Yeah. Where she lived for her whole, you know, run as a housewife. Yeah, and then she moved to Chicago. You know, those those interns in Sonia's house were unpaid. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were. But, you know, they were they were rich in experience. Yeah, they, they, should, got they to... should have formed a class action lawsuit against the Morgan estate. Yeah. I don't know if Sonia could have paid up, though. Unfortunately, no. I think most of her money is tied up. In, I don't actually know where it's tied up because it's certainly not going into renovations in the townhouse. Or so. on her toaster oven. Oh, I love her so much. I love that woman. Or I love Thirsty that Girl woman. or Tipsy Girl. What's it Tipsy called? Tipsy Girl. Well, we were Tipsy talking girl. about cheater brands yesterday yeah, because right, right. in that one season of Roni when Sonia came up with Tipsy Girl, her own brand. Of champagne. Was it champagne? I can't remember quite what it was. I think it was champagne because Ramona had Ramona uh-huh. Pino. 
and Bethany had Skinny Girl, but it was like margaritas. Yeah, which right? I think they're. I think the Skinny Girl margaritas are good. I don't like. I don't I like so any of the like Skinny Girl Cosmo, Skinny Girl, blah 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 blah. Oh, that's kind of bad. But the margarita kind of hits, and you could actually finish like a whole thing by yourself. <laughs> I've never had it. I think I've I've seen at Giant Eagle salad dressing. Oh, there's those. There, there's yeah. even skinny girl jeans at a time. If you can really put your mind into that headspace, that there were and, jeans. You know, the name is so problematic in today's world. I mean, the idea of like striving to be skinny, I guess that was very much of the moment. And we're now in this whole like Lizzo, love yourself, self-love, body positivity. You movement. do famously refer to yourself as one of Lizzo's big girls. I would, I would say I would classify <laughs> as one of the big girls. Absolutely. One of Lizzo's one big of Lizzo's girls. One of Lizzo's big exactly. girls. Okay, wait. So we were talking about OnlyFans and the pay-per-view aspect of oh, it Oh, yeah. All. So at the end of this, so, we'll stop at some point. And we'll switch over to the Drama Plus. We're for $5 a month at thedramapodcast.com slash Patreon. Oh, wait, no. Patreon.com slash thedramapodcast. That's right. You'll find it. It's always wait. in the notes. So I, I don't even know oh, why yeah. we feel the need to spew it out. They say you need to say something seven times. For, for it to like transfer into somebody's brain, like whether it be learning mm-hmm. a fact, convincing them to buy a product, buy into something, memorize something. That that actually registers with me. You mentioned Lizzo a second ago, yeah. and you posed the question <laughs> recently in a group text, is Lizzo a good singer? And I'm wondering what you think, because you never answered, I don't well, think. I- I don't know, because she performed on SNL over the weekend. And a lot of Lizzo's music is kind of talky. Like, like, yeah, she kind of like talks, sings it. She pulls it off, definitely. But I don't really know if I would go to Lizzo for like a ballad, you know? I mean, I would love a ballad. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a ballad queen. But she sang two oh. basically ballads on Saturday Night Live. One of them was based on a famous portrait of a working woman. I don't know exactly what it was called, but they did like a side-by-side on Instagram of the two pictures. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then the second one was that song, Someday at Christmas. Oh, that's a great song. And she had really strong vocal moments, but otherwise it felt kind of shaky slash not necessarily the type of voice that I want to hear singing a ballad. Dylan, okay, I I hear you. I wonder if she did those because she filled in last minute and they couldn't do a big production for any of her other songs. I would agree. I would agree. However, I was just sort of (laughs) curious what people think about Lizzo's vocals, because I think that she certainly pulls it off with the big production, as you said, and her songs like, you know, Juice and It's About Damn Time and things like that. But I think she's a good singer. I don't know. In my opinion, it's not. That's why, like, I don't sit there listening to her music all the way through, because it's like something I maybe want to dance to or work out to, but not necessarily something I want to have playing ambiently in the background when I'm working or doing Ooh, interesting. So is the ambient music you usually play stuff with pleasing vocals? <laughs> Almost always. I have a playlist on Spotify that I made in like 2014 called Chill. And and it's very 2014. What playlist. do you mean? Like, like how would you describe? you once criticized it as saying it's a lot of Ed Sheeran. And this was oh. when you and I were in our big British era. So like More on that later. More, more on that later. later. <laughs> and so it, it was like, you know, his first two albums are in there in totality. Whereas like a lot of the other music on there is like, you know, some live John Mayer stuff or, you know, Alicia Keys or Colby Calais, or it's very like Rebecca Ferguson, another British artist. Okay. You're saying 2014, but I'm getting 2008 even like with some of these, like Alicia Keys, Colby, like that's fun as hell. Yeah. Well, I think it was in some ways a nostalgic playlist when we, when I made it in 
college, sophomore year, but I'll still play it to this day. I've since added in a lot of new stuff like by Harry and Niall, and there's a little bit of Taylor. The reason there's not a lot is because she obviously didn't join Spotify until a couple of years ago. You're right. Oh my God. How did we listen to her? I guess on the CD. So I would not put Lizzo necessarily on my chill playlist, but maybe she'd be on like a pride playlist that used to be collaborative until our friends, if you're listening, decided that their (laughs) curating tastes were stronger than ours. They were pulling Vincent off the pride playlist, which to me is homophobic. I'm just going to say it. Vincent, and you know, I will always go to bat for Betty Who when it comes time for Pride, but they, oh, they nice. wanted, and I, I think they're probably listening. They wanted, you know, the more curated remixes of Little Mix. Or like I'm and, coming out. Yes, which is great. You know, you could have basically put any song from any drag race lip sync for your life on the playlist and it would have been great. Yeah. They do allow me once a year a RuPaul song. Just one. Now, speaking of RuPaul, her press tour. For this new season of Drag Race, which is coming out on January 6th, which is troubling anniversary to... Wait, but how weird that she's doing a press tour. I feel like she hasn't in a while. Agreed. I wonder why. I really do. Maybe she's promoting something else as well. I think the MTV move is probably a big part of it. And isn't she going to be hosting a new game show? Yes, it's called Lingo. Lingo. I think it's an old game show they're bringing back. I mean, Rue's going to be perfect for that. I mean, her hosting is game show adjacent at times. So definitely, it's effective. Yeah, I mean, she's the most decorated host in reality TV history at the Emmys. Oh my God. And listeners, you're going to have to listen to next week's episode of Drama on the main feed because I have... A, a RuPaul story to tell. But yes, but no, yes, Ru is. has spiraled out on these. I mean, there was a Watch What Happens live clip. There was a, was it Tonight Show or? It was Stephen it was Colbert. Colbert. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Ru is acting crazy. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and and for those who remember Ru's podcast, that's now defunct, What's the Tea? I feel like you'd see this side of Ru a little bit more. But it's the way that, you know, on Drag Race, Ru is so scripted. And so like everything Ru says, for those... You know, from from in, intel that we've heard and read about comes in through an earpiece, much of what Rue says. Yeah. Because it's very formulaic, with the exception of maybe some of the runway critiques and workroom conversations. But Rue is so stream of consciousness that I think that Rue sometimes just needs to hear things come out of her mouth to, <laughs> in order to formulate her actual thought. And so, like, she's, like, talking about Prissy Kissmas instead of Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. And, like, on Andy Cohen clip, she's talking about the moment that Jinx won. And she goes on this huge, <laughs> you know, <laughs> recreation of the moment from Snatch Game and then starts losing it. Really funny. Cackling. Cackling with laughter. And to me, it's joyful. I agree. I love this. Because ref- on the show, like I said, it's game show adjacent at times. Like, Rue is following the script, obviously, has to keep the show moving, but it's so fun to see her like in her, what's the tea bag mama, like truly fun. And you know who I think does a really good job of having the earpiece, but still keeping it natural and fresh and really keeping it flowing. Andy Cohen. Oh yes. He is. Well, you saw this happen in real time when you were at watch what happens. Oh my God. Yes, 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 yes. Like the way he is able to talk to the people who are sitting there, he's acknowledging the studio audience. There are people in his ears. There are cameramen everywhere. I mean, that's, I imagine what a TV set's like in general at times with these hosts. Like, I'm, I'm acting like it's Andy alone specific. But can you imagine sitting there on the couch at these reunions for these housewife shows where there are like, you know, at any given season, four to eight women on both sides of the couch, sometimes an added <laughs> chair, and they are all 
going back and forth and you have to keep them on track, listen to what they're saying, respond, but also ask the questions from, you know, Dylan from Columbus, who's written in to ask mm-hmm. Sonia Morgan about when the toaster oven's coming out, things like that. I mean, it's impressive. It's so amazing. I have trouble sometimes keeping us on track when we're on this podcast. Actually, you're more the keep on track kind of girl. And I would disagree lately. You, you have been the one who brings us back to what we're there for. You're right. I'll always try to like bring in the question, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh my Sometimes God. you don't need that. Sometimes it just kind of happens. I think it just depends on the mood that you're in. That's why I am so grateful that we have each other mm-hmm. as co-hosts of the pod because imagine hosting a podcast by yourself. I need to give credit to those people out there who do it. You know, we have a lot of friends in the podcasting world that we've made through doing this, but it is like, you could probably at times feel like you're out to sea without a life raft. Seriously. You're right. When, we're, when I have you flow, and that's always been our dynamic in general, so it's only natural that we would have a podcast. Wait, oh my God. I just last night finished season two of Only Murders in the Building. Oh, finally. Finally. I think it came out over the summer. It did, but I had to watch season one first, and then I was watching it so fragmented that I was like, I really want to do a binge of season two because... I just felt like I was dropped out when I wasn't. I don't know. Even the mysteries, I do believe, should be watched week to week. This is more lighthearted. It's not necessarily, you know, whatever. Yeah, because each episode hypothetically ends on a cliffhanger in ways. Or a reveal or something like that. But I was a laugh, laugh, laughing because obviously the the conceit of the show is it's about these three people who live in a building and they all love true crime murder podcasts. And then a murder happens in the building and they decide to start their own podcast to track and solve the murder of you know, what happened. And then, right. but I felt like season two is less about podcasts. Like where season one, you saw them recording a lot. People were responding to it. They had fans. They had fans. Season two, <laughs> they still include that a little bit, but it wasn't overkill, which I think is fine. Like, but towards the end, it really comes back in without spoiling it about podcasting. And some of the dialogue had me laugh, laugh, laughing as a podcaster. I was truly mm-hmm. obsessed with it. I mean, that show is funny. It is it is really so good. good. You're referring to like the Tina Fey stuff. Tina Fey. And yeah. her intern and or her employee. Yeah. All Poppy. of that. I thought that last scene, yeah. That last scene <laughs> that took place in in one of the rooms in, in the building. In I don't Arconia. know. Who's... It was the gay who lives in the building. It was in his house. His okay, room. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That whole sequence was so hysterical to <laughs> I know. me. The way that it all unfolded. For people who don't watch, I, I really recommend it. It's a cozy, it's a cozy murder mystery. It's actually great for this time of year too. It's like winter in New York. Mm-hmm. They're solving a mystery that has stakes, but they don't ever let it get too sad or too dark. Um yeah. But they do have brushes with getting murdered themselves. As you, as and I'm I think saying that's that, what you're right. keeps it interesting. And there's so many Broadway cameos. I mean, Jane Howdyshell plays the building supervisor, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, like board, or... board president, I think. Bo- board president. Oh, she's yes. fantastic. Becky Hoffman is in it as oh, well, yes. sort of like her pal. Jason Vesey from A Strange Loop is in season two. Yep. The guy who plays Tim Kono in season one, I'll just yes. say that, is in Take Me Out. Yes, he is. And he got a big old thing. He was the only naked member of Take Me Out that was facing away from me when I was oh, on the show. Tragedy. I know. Oh my God. Take Me Out was long chronicled on our podcast, both <laughs> main feed and Patreon, that once it finally came out, I don't even think we said we saw it, but we talked about it ad nauseum. Once I, was... I swear we talked about it. Well, because then there was the whole drama <laughs> with Jesse, with the video leaking and everything. You know, I think that was maybe one of the best things that ever could have happened to that show. I agree. I just I don't agree. think the magic has struck again for the second run. I've heard it's not as full as it was the first time around. Well, they're not in a subscriber house. True. In a bigger theater. I just think it is such a brilliant play. It, y'all, if you're in New York and need to see a play, a lot's closing 
which I, I kind of want to get to in a second. Oh yeah, we should get a to lot that. is closing in January, so like early February before everything moves in, everything's going to be starting to open end of February, early March. I really recommend seeing Take Me Out. Me too. It's I think it closes the first or second weekend of February, but yeah. So like kind of in theater news, just in general, this is the typical graveyard month coming up for Broadway. People think it's like oh this is just like we're in economic turmoil. It's nothing like last year when Waitress and Jagged Little Pill. Pill, A lot of shows closed without realizing it was their last performance. Remember? It was like Chicken and Biscuits. That's right. Because they had cast members who were sick. They were calling out. They canceled performances. And then they came back for like a couple and and ended it early. Which was a shame because I actually really loved that show. It was so good. Yeah, uh, Chicken and Biscuits. And I remember Doubtfire opened and closed, opened and closed. Okay, so here's all the things closing this year. Ain't No Mo will be closing this Saturday, which... The Save Ain't No Mo movement? Did it like drop off? They like got another week of performances and then everyone just was like, Yeah, there's no save in it anymore. We're just gonna let it be gone. Like, what was that all about? I, I'm so confused. I know, I know. I mean, these celebrities buying out performances was was amazing, but I don't really understand the financials enough to be like, obviously it's not really contributing to the advanced sales because it's happening like week up. Right. So I, I don't think they can save it for future running costs, right? Right. And then, of course, Beetlejuice is closing. Almost Famous just posted earlier this week, which I am so bummed about. It was such a blast. It was such a, like, if you loved the movie, you're going to love the musical. And, like, the music Mm -hmm. felt like it could have been from that era. I mean, it's Tom Kitt. I'm bummed, especially for Casey. But, like, the cast was just incredible. I know. I know. We should actually talk about it more at length later once we get into, like, reviewing stuff we just saw. Oh, yeah, because we did get to see it together. Yeah. Yes, because you came to the city. Yes. Okay, we'll get into that later. But I know. Closing a little too soon. I wonder if it opened in the spring, if it would have had a more, like, spring tourism vibe that were, like, into, like, summer rock family fun. I don't know. I feel like holiday season is kind of tough. Sometimes it is, especially with all the options out there right now. Into the Woods is closing. The Music Man, 1776. Mike Birbiglia, The Man in the Pool. Death of a Salesman, The Piano Lesson, A Strange Loop, A Christmas Carol, and Top Dog Underdog are all closing in the next couple of months. Wow. So that's a get lot. Out there and see them. There, I, I've seen almost most of the musicals on here, and I can rec- I recommend all of them. So I don't know, but actually, I haven't yeah. seen 1776 though. I did see it. Yeah. You know, I. I was told it was bad going in. And so I was expecting the worst. Right. I mean, I know it's, it's outdated material. Yeah. Cause they didn't, they didn't do any updates to it other than they decided to just cast every role with female, non-binary, transgender performer. Right. And it to me was kind of a boring musical, but it was a really exciting cast and the performances were good and it was exciting to hear those songs sung in the way they were but without really tweaking anything it felt like a it felt like lazy like you know they were throwing these performers into traditionally male written roles without doing anything else to supplement the material or to complement the casting so it almost was I don't know. It just didn't, it still didn't pop in the way that I hoped it would. I was, I was really excited for it. And again, the performances were great. I thought parts of it were really strong. And I didn't see that one performer that gives 75% or whatever. So, which is also discussed in next week's episode. I think what you're saying is the, cause with company, there was actual rewrites. So I think that there's the, that's a good example of like, and I haven't seen 1776, but interesting. What else is going on in the theater world? I enter the Today Six lottery every mm. single day, and I never mm. ever win. But y'all, as we all hoped, prayed, and expected, and got on our knees in front of Jonathan Groff for uh, uh, 
Barely We Roll Along is transferring to Broadway next year with Daniel Radcliffe, Lindsay Mendez, and Jonathan Groff. And oh my God, I am so happy. It's like the, the most beautiful story outside of the show that this musical is finally in this production that's worthy enough to return to Broadway. Like, I mean, we all, you know, Merrily has entered sort of that cult status over the years of like underappreciated musicals. It closed in like like a week after it opened. And now it's got this all-star cast. Maria Friedman, who has directed multiple iterations of it now, who I have an odd connection to, Maria Friedman, who people will remember her as the narrator oh, from the Donny Osmond, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Wait um, a minute. You have me shaking. She directs this production of Merrily. I'm yeah. And I guess she does it with great care. And I've tried not to read too much about it because I want to actually see it when it comes to Broadway, since the off-Broadway run sold out quickly. And now it's hopefully going to have a longer life than its original production and maybe get its due. You know, it's, this is something that's been gestating for years. I know. Will this finally be Jonathan Groff's Tony? Ooh, maybe. It'll be interesting how they run him because technically Franklin, Frank Shepard is the lead. They all three feel kind of like the leads, at least in the production we saw. We saw that really interesting one at Roundabout where they condensed it to like 90 minutes. The fiasco production. The fiasco production, which I think they are so interesting. Yeah, they also did Into the Woods a couple years ago. Also great. Yeah, but but different. Yeah, this will be of the really, really, and and everyone who's seen it is obsessed with it. It, I think it holds a special place in many of our hearts. And that documentary that we mentioned actually on our Air Trade episode, Best Worst Thing That Ever Could Have Happened, is currently unavailable to view online. It, It was taken off of Netflix. The way these streaming services gave us big promises... And then they're all starting to wipe content is giving me great pause. I know. It's creepy. I know. Okay, so we mentioned British earlier, British things. And you know, when I was talking about my playlist, and I think we can confirm on the podcast now that you and I are going to be taking a twins trip to the UK, <laughs> to London specifically. Finally, we are going to be leaving the country for the first time in literal years to go to one of our most favorite places and one of our biggest obsessions. We're going to England. We're doing a grand Twins Take London return. And I am so happy that we're doing this. I feel like we went in 2014 and we kind of just went. We didn't have big plans. We just did what we did. And ultimately feel as if it was a big waste of money at times because we really didn't take the biggest bite out of our experience. We we had like four days in England, four days in Ireland, I think was the way that it all shook out or something. And, you know, we just didn't know. It was a good first trip, I'd say. You know, we saw a show, we toured, we did double decker bus, things like that. But this time it's 10 days in London Maybe some day trips outside of it. Very White Lotus vibes. Yeah, a little bit. To Palermo. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll go to Bath or, you know, somewhere outside of the city. And I'm, I'm maybe shaking. Brighton. And we'll explore. We'll have fun. And we're going to see a little bit of theater. Not, It's not a theater trip, as I keep assuring everyone. But by that, I mean, we're not seeing a show every single night over there, which is what I normally do when I go to New York. <laughs> but we do have tickets to something. Thanks to you. Y'all, y'all, y'all. I was sitting in this very spot when I spoke on the pod about Paul Meskel being cast in a streetcar named Desire, a Stanley. And it sold out quicker than you could ever expect. But that's where this idea came up, that we were going to go. I was thinking of going alone. It was originally trip, a, like a, a solo Connor trip. Yeah, you totally. pray love. You'd pray Paul. And <laughs> it sold out. My dreams were crushed. And I told Gavin Creel, I said, it's over. 
It's over, Gavin. It's over. He said, where there's a will, there's a way. And he was right. And who knew that that will would just be refreshing the Amida Theater website over and over again until they released more tickets. So (laughs) we are seeing Paul Meskel and I cannot. In the flesh. That just gave me a shiver. I am so obsessed with that man. It's sick. It's, it's sick. It, no, it's worth. He's worthy of your obsession. Oh my god, I am just addicted. He's seemingly non-problematic. You know, he's a good Irishman. He's in all of your favorite content. You love him too. You loved him first. I absolutely love him, but I think we can share in this case. Okay, and thank God we're going together, then, because we can really experience Paul. I mean, I feel like you and I have not been this obsessed with someone in this way in a while that we would go cross cross country, even across the sea. I cannot think of somebody at all other than One D. Well, yeah, that that we, you know, for those who don't know, Connor <laughs> and I saw every single North American tour of One Direction. Wow. Is that okay to admit in, in public? It is because we haven't, we <laughs> haven't done like the solo gigs of all the members, you know. Although Louis is coming to Columbus in June and I was like oddly tempted to be like, what would that be like? It would be fun. <laughs> so if anyone has any London recommendations, let us know. We're of course going to be meeting some friends of the pod in real life that we've connected with. We'll have to do a we'll Ooh. have to do a little UK roundup. Push those episodes out. Cannot wait. I am so excited. So excited. Dylan, yeah, thank you for coming with amazing. me on this journey. We're gonna have to bank up some pods before we go. <laughs> I know. Send them out. Ooh, and I wish we could record while we're over there, but we obviously are not gonna fly with our equipment. But we could. Maybe afterwards we'll... we could bring one mic. Anyways, that there's been so much theater news, so many things that we could be talking about. The Sweeney Todd casting. Just to briefly touch on it, Ruthie Ann Miles is gonna be in it as the beggar woman. Jordan Fisher is gonna be in it. As Anthony, Tobias is going to be played by Gaten Matarazzo. Yeah. Gatton? I don't know. Everyone everyone goes, Gaten? Gatton? That's like literally every <laughs> single time someone says that. Of course, Gina DeWall, friend of the pod, is going to be going in as the Love It and Beggar Woman standby, which is cool. So she's going to be covering both Ruthie and Annalise. Good for her. And I, I love this idea, too, because they're both, you know, Annalise and Ruthie are both mothers. And so you never know what's going to come up. You know, they have other jobs as well, in addition to being superstars so i love the idea of them having a standby in the building for both of them yeah and it happens to be the same person and to hear that this music played oh it's gonna be stunning and they're, they're oh my god they're gonna slay they're absolutely and, and josh groban i mean josh groban is so talented oh, so he's got such i really can't wait i'm so stoked it's my it's my most anticipated show that's opening this spring for sure oh wow that's big that's really big. Well, yeah. I'm surprised Camelot isn't, because I know Andrew Burnap is somebody that you're really dying to see oh, on stage again. We love, we love him so much, but I'm not familiar with Camelot, so maybe that's why. I'm just not as, you, you know, True. where Sweeney, I've had a lot of experiences with it, whether it be a community theater production, a Barrow Street theater production, the film. I really think it's going to be so high budget and well done. Annalie is going to eat. Literally. <laughs> Don't you Literally. think? Like I really, oh yeah, not to get too um, awardsy with it, but how can we not as as a theater gay? As, as we do, but I really think she is going to live up to her Tony Award winning status, and I really want her nominated mm-hmm. for a musical. So this is going to be, yeah. Well, she's never been nominated in that category. Okay, leading actress in a musical. She because Sunday in the Park they withdrew from nominations, Ooh. but she was nominated for Kinky Boots. She was so, or featured. Wow, what? okay, that totally left my mind. So, so she could get you know she needs to be nominated in this category as well. Okay, I think we should move on to some like more pop cultural type topics. Love it. A lot's been happening. I mean, but the biggest thing that's been on my mind for the last. I don't know, seven, eight weeks has been the White Lotus, which if you follow me on Instagram, I basically only post about it on my stories. But 
what a what a treat what a delight i absolutely loved season two what did you think yeah it was like the most fun i've had watching a show all year because of the discourse the week-to-week aspect i think really helped and the fact that like it was genuinely good tv you know like the cast was phenomenal it unfolded beautifully I developed new crushes. Megan Fahey completely stole my heart in other ways. Aubrey Plaza returned in this beautiful way. <sighs> Jennifer Coolidge continued to deliver. Yeah, I will say it's funny. It ended, but I still feel like it's top of mind in many uh, ways. What a, what, that gave me a little chill because what should art do if not invigorate us, our hearts and our minds and our dinner table conversations? Right? I totally agree. I think it was just so well done. If I have a little complaint about the formatting of it, I feel like the heroes, quote unquote, that we followed in the be- in the first few episodes, we sort of lost their POV in the last few, specifically Lucia and Harper. Yeah, Harper, I think, right? especially. I, the whole time I was like, oh, Aubrey Plaza is taking it. And the first like three, four episodes, you're like, oh my God, she's slaying. And she did slay through the end, but I just feel like she didn't get as many strong moments towards the end. But it was sort of flipped because then, whereas Harper was sort of leading that storyline, Ethan takes over in the second half. And where Lucia was really like, writing her own storylines and dipping in and throughout and out we sort of lost her a little bit for obviously a payoff in the end which not to spoil but we see where that goes yeah but those are some of my favorite performances and that we sort of didn't get as many moments of them of them acting and seeing what their inner workings disappointed me but it doesn't disappoint me in an overall storytelling situation because it really just let every single character shine at all times so definitely Wait, I love that you know all of the character names because the, the, <laughs> the running joke online is that you only know some of them, but you refer to the other characters as how you yeah. know them. So like it's Aubrey Plaza, uh-huh. Tom Harper. It's Daphne. You do know Daphne is the Megan Fahey character. Christopher from The Sopranos. H- Hooker with a Bob. <laughs> Hooker with a Bob. <laughs> yes. It's so funny. Jennifer Coolidge is just Jennifer Which Coolidge. Which she delivered. So, I have to say, like... <laughs> The memes. Oh yeah, we're in spoiler territory now, but we're totally in spoiler territory. I just think that it has made it all the more delicious of of a moment for her. I remember on this podcast, you and I even questioned Jennifer Coolidge's character's purpose in the second season. Yeah, how silly of us to ever wonder why they would bring her back if not for a great storyline. And it was amazing. Amazing. I never should have won. I never. I will never doubt her again. I never will. Mm, what's the use of one? <laughs> the physical comedy that she was able to achieve, especially in that last episode, was beyond. <laughs> I mean... The running up the side of the boat. The scenes when she's sit- sitting the at the table the for, like, the lunch and then the dinner or whatever. Like, just the way her her body language and the way she's choking out words. It, it, it was really a masterclass in singularity. You know? Like, no totally. one can do it like Coolidge. She is everything. And I really wanted Aubrey Plaza to kind of be the breakout star of the season in that, in like the way that Coolidge was in season one. And I still hope that Aubrey gets award recognition for this role, but I think, I think Coolidge is taking it. She's taking it. She might, she just might, you know, it's, it was written with that in mind. You know, we, they gave the gays everything we wanted. I can't wait for season three. I'm hearing it's going to be like an East Asian Southeast Asian religious type experience, which I think will be really interesting. And Oh, there's so much material to mine there. Yeah. And hopefully we'll get a more diverse cast in the process. So. I hope so. Because, you know, not just... I would just love to see Manny Jacinto in that. Oh, my God. However, he did do that other weird show about religious spirituality that Nicole Kidman... The Nine Perfect Strangers. The Nine Perfect Strangers, yeah. Which was so bad. I heard it's getting a second season. Oh, please. I'm going to skip it. I could be so wrong right no, now. I th- no, I think you're right. 
Um, last thing I'll say is I'm absolutely obsessed with Every Man on the White Lotus season two. So if anyone wants to help us get them on the pod, um, Adam DeMarco, Theo James, um, F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> Not F. Murray. No, I would love that too. Leo Woodall. <laughs> yeah, they're all great. And yeah, they're great. Also, I have one last thing to say. I know this is not a this is not a White Lotus podcast, but fine. Haley Lou Richardson as Portia. Name a more controversial character on TV since Che Diaz. I don't think you can. Haley Lou is really winning over the hearts and minds of America. I think she's becoming America's sweetheart in the after Connor, season. <laughs> who is she? <laughs> who is this girl? I am just like gagged by her. The way that she says things in interviews did you see that clip i think it was from it was with hoda or something like that where Haley was randomly like twerking on camera or like attempting to twerk i was like what on earth i tweeted recently that everyone's being so ridiculous about austin butler and his fake accent and all this stuff for elvis but i want my stars to be weird I want them to be wacky. I want strange behavior from all of them. I love that Austin Butler is seemingly now a Southern man, which he he addresses it on SNL. He hosted on oh, Saturday. Oh, the aforementioned SNL that you the, as, yes, 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 yes. My through line on today's episode. Same thing with Haley. Like, I want her to be weird and quirky. I don't... I don't need her to be Jennifer Lawrence quirky. Well, no one needs that anymore. I think we're past that as a society. We're past the everyman. And I don't mean to use it, make it gendered, but I don't need them to be my best friend. You know what? I'm with you. Would I want to grab a drink with any of them still? Yes, absolutely. But I want them to be a little strange. Me too. Like Gaga, who is more fun than Gaga? Oh, yeah. On a press tour. I mean, I say fun with air quotes around it it was stressful during house of gucci but yeah hopefully that's done with now it's gonna be even weirder during joker 2 but i'm excited about it you know and that's something that i can't say for everyone yeah okay that's it for white lotus but you know next twin talk i think we'll be past the golden globes we'll be a little bit closer to to movies you know we're we'll see if anybody won these awards for white lotus but you and i we become randomly a semi-film podcast during this time of the year <laughs> to gush about our favorites, not necessarily to critique other types of films. We'll leave that to the pros on Oscar Wilde. But That's tea. We will have to talk about the Golden Globe results come January because, I mean, do we trust the Golden Globes anymore? Like after this whole HFPA thing. I know. Taking it off the networks. It's so weird. I don't know. Because they still happened last year. And are they necessarily an Oscars predictor? I don't, I don't know. I feel like what helped them with awards in like awards trajectory for some of these performers was just like speeches and getting out there and having, cause you know, when comedians like Amy and Tina hosted the Globes or like, mm-hmm. I guess that's really the only ones I can think of that were really amazing, but you know, people watched, people watched. And mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily if there'll be a huge indicator for what's to come, but it seems like the names that we all have been talking about most of the year, like, you know, Everything Everywhere All Once, Tar, Banshees of Inisherin, Performer, Fablemans. Fablemans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen all these movies. I mean, it's all, they're all great in, in different ways, you know, like the ones I mentioned. Yeah. In ways, I think it's almost a great opportunity to give someone an award who might not get the, the Academy Award, you know, down the line, but they at least get the Golden Globe. I think that's where things get complicated, especially with Best Actress, because they do Best Actress in a drama and then Best Actress in a musical comedy, and they usually overlap. Once it, you know, one of them usually will ultimately go on to win the Oscar. I think I remember learning on Oscar Wilde, though, a few years ago that Frances McDormand ultimately won the Oscar, 
but Andre Day won the Golden Globe for the drama that or musical comedy. I don't remember which category it was. Oh, it would have been musical, right? Or, or no, sometimes they do weird things with it. Like they'll yeah, put musicals into, oh, that's so interesting. I think that sounds right. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because like Golden Globes would award Rachel Bloom for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Gina Rodriguez for Jane the Virgin. But, mm-hmm. but those wins were never reflected in like the Emmys. Like they never no. went on to be nominated for Emmy awards. So it's just a really interesting time of year. I used to love watching the Globes. Everyone got like a little boozed up and they'd be at those circle tables. And uh-huh. it was just so casual and fun. So I wonder what it's going to be like this year. Do you think Austin Butler's going to win? I think Austin Butler could win. I mean, um, Taryn Edgerton won for Rocket Man a few years ago. So who knows? Yeah. Oh, Austin Butler was so good in Elvis. Yeah, he's amazing. I, not to mention SNL again, but he did a really great job on SNL too. And I'm like, oh, this guy's like a oh, star. Okay, I'll and watch it. If there was a good campaigning tactic for him, it was to be hosting SNL this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. Definitely. Very fun. Very fun. Okay. We yeah. need to get to Dramois, which is this new fun segment that we do where people write in, they share their tea, they ask advice, they ask us for some insights on things. And we did receive an interesting question. You know, we were talking earlier about revivals and like if things get rewritten, like 1776 or company. We do have this question that was written in by Anonymous saying, I want you both to craft your dream revival and not talk about it to each other until you're recording. What show is it? Who are you casting? Who is directing? Any unique twists, reimagining, rearranging, or production decisions? Okay, I have so many ideas but i don't have like fully fledged like this is the director this is the you know choreographer this is this this is that this is that whatever but i would absolutely love and i said this a few years ago on a broadway con panel that i would love legally blonde with slaya pfeiffer because i think her singing those songs and her twist on l could be so Totally. and fresh a little more serious i don't know if she can be as funny i've never seen her do anything funny and Elle needs to have the fun factor so that's the only my only hesitance with Saleh. i'm sure she can do it i just haven't seen her do it yet so i would love to see yeah. her in legally blonde i have for years said that i would love a little women revival which i think we're due for one yeah totally i think we're due for one and i want the centerpiece to be audra mcdonald as marmy I love that. Wouldn't that be great? And you could really get creative with all the March sisters. Yeah, I mean, oh, it yeah. could be, it, you know, they could be anyone. All newcomers, they could, you know, Sutton really did such, such a sleigh job with Astonishing. The whole show. I mean, the fire within me, aka, like, it's sort of like the 11 o'clock number, makes me sob every single time. So you, you really need someone as Joe who can do what Sutton does, which is make you laugh, make you feel, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't quite know who Joe would be. But I do know that Audra would absolutely slay as Marmy. Totally. Slay. Oh, my God. I remember years ago you said Shanice Williams would be a good Joe. Wow, 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 wow. She would be. We haven't seen her in at all, really. So I would yeah. love that, though. Okay, I love these ideas. My thought process on this is I, I think that the maestro of revivals of late has been Michael Arden. You know, all of his Tony nominations have been for directing revivals, whether it be Once on This Island or Spring Awakening. I'd love to see him continue to do that. And he might actually be directing Parade, now that I'm thinking of it. I think that he's the Parade director. So maybe number three will come along his way. But any revival, I want to see him doing it. He's such a lover of theater and the arts. I think he kind of gives us what we might want. I would love to see, in repertory, The Wild Party and Wild Party. 
performed in, you know, opposing schedules, sort of like they did Dana H and Is This a Room or where, you know, every couple shows it's Wild Party and then it's The Wild Party. I think that the Lacusa and the Lip Up, they're, they're different enough that they would bring in different audiences, but they would also be, you know, they're also similar enough that they could share the bill and... I mean, think of the great stars that could be in them. And I think two different casts. I don't think the same people overlap in each. I think they're because they're both different shows, you know? That is such a fun idea. And we've we've seen in recent years these two-part shows work anyway. Yeah. So why not do and it? It's not a requirement, you know? It's not yeah. like Harry Potter was or Angels was. You know, you, you just pick what you want to see or you see both. Yeah. That is such a fun idea. And Michael Arden will direct. Michael Arden. Okay, now here's one that I was thinking about that I'm like, the question always is, do we need a revival? Do we need a revival? Here's what's missing from Broadway. A show that never should have closed in the first place. The iconic, the legendary, the amazing Beauty and the Beast. I know. I have not yet watched the Disney Plus, or I'm sorry, the uh, Disney ABC Live. It is on Disney Plus now. It's on Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. But I just think that show never should have closed. They were so fun with their casting throughout the years. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Such a magical show. Also had such a great score. Oh, I mean, timeless. There's a reason it's done. It's done everywhere. But also, we've talked about it with so many of our guests on the show who have been impacted by Aida. So not to get too Disney on Broadway with it, but like, imagine Shakina Kalakango. Yeah. Imagine Aisha Jackson. Imagine, I mean, as as Amneris, you could get. Oh my God. Well, Taylor Lauderman did it. Everyone wants she, Bonnie Milligan to play Amneris. She'd be amazing. Yeah. She'd be absolutely amazing. And she's funny. And I think Amneris has to have like a little bit of, you have to love her, you know, right. like, so I think Bonnie would be great. Oh my God. You could put so many fun people in that. And of course, as many hot Rodimates. Yeah. Any Fiero, any like, Fiero of the last, <laughs> any Fiero or Dimitri or any yes. leading man in that way could go in as Rodimates. I don't know how this is. Is Shelley Williams directed this this tour that's going around? That's a revival, and it's going to come in. I don't know how they're handling the Egyptian slash Nubian, Nubian aspects of it. Oh, true. I don't know if it's like culturally conscious in any way, really. That's something to to look at. Certainly, I mean, and someone in the question they asked us like any reimaginings, rearranging, production yeah. decisions, and I think that's certainly a decision that should go into it. Um, mm -hmm. Is making sure that it's appropriate. Yeah, and, you know it should have consciousness in the casting decisions as opposed to something like 1776, where I mentioned like, yes, they put new performers into traditionally male written roles, but I don't necessarily know if it matters that much in a, in a male, in a yeah. white man's story. Right. I don't think companies should have closed in terms of revivals. No. I know we're going on and on about this question, but the casting possibilities from tit to toe would have been amazing. But what about L Morgan Lee as Bobby? Oh, I would love to see that. A trans Bobby would be unbelievable. It adds layers to layers to layers to this, Absolutely. to this flipped production already, but they could add in like little rewrites too about, you know, the trans experience and dating in New York. It really just deepens material. And I think that's what could be so cool. Oh, that actually gives me chills thinking about it. And I think it would work in this, in that Marion Elliott production that just happened. I can picture Al Morgan in the, in the iconic red jumpsuit. I really can. I love that idea, right? And I think with each casting decision made then going forward, we can play with it. 
you know, you can give Joanne a bisexual storyline like like there was talk of. You can make one of the, the the boyfriend trio a woman. You know, you can you can make everybody's sexuality more fluid. This isn't even just with the El Morgan production. No, totally. Home, I was like, I was imagining like anybody. the the possibilities of switching no matter who's playing what part. Like it could be so right. interesting to queer up company. That. Let's queer up company. Yeah. This, I love that. This, idea. The Marion Elliott version should have been more queer with Bobby. I guess they tried. I guess they tried different things with it. Okay. So and what, what didn't I know feel? Keith Saunders has a lot of thoughts about it okay. that they put online. That's interesting. Let's do maybe one or two more okay. drama. I know we're, we're going like and going. We, you and I are chatterboxes today. All right. This is from curiosity. What's a musical play soundtrack or casting choice that you think is underrated? I'll go with, I'll go with soundtrack slash cast album. My obsession since high school has been that, cast album recording, I should say, of Vanities, the, a new musical. Annalise Vanderpool with, um, with, um, Sarah um, Styles. Sarah Styles and Lauren Kennedy. Yeah. That music is so good. I love the story. It's nostalgic. It's female driven. It's just fun and emotional. And I probably know every line to every song from start to finish on that. It, I, including I think it's the so dialogue, good. including the dialogue, especially Annalise's monologues in, in um, her act, big act two scene. Which, yes, you know, definitely. I love that. What about you? Do you have like an underrated musical play or cast album or casting choice even? Casting choice. I wouldn't say anything underrated because I, I more so go for like inspired casting choices, like when it comes to like stunt casting or celebrity moment. But as far as something that I think that is a little bit underrated are some best musical winners over the last two decades that sort of entered, they win the big prize, then they go away. An example being Billy Elliot. Oh, no one, no one talks about, you know, shows like Billy Elliot anymore, or even Gentleman's Guide, things like that, that like, you can dominate for a season and then go away. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just really interesting. Wow. I I don't know. I think the Billy Elliot cast album is really amazing. I mean, there are so many plays that happen over the years that just kind of come in, they come out. Yeah. But I don't think everything needs to be on Broadway, you know, that some things can just happen and exist in the space that they happen. Then that be it. I think that's why, you know, Broadway's struggling in, to some extent right now is that to what you just said, not everything has to be on Broadway. And I agree. Should K-pop have been on Broadway? I think that it was amazing. I think that it was so fun. I hear that it was, I'm literally stabbing my eyes with a spoon, better downtown, but, <laughs> and I didn't see it, but people are obsessed with saying that it was better downtown, but sometimes things are you know, but I guess that's art. It should evolve and change. You try it in different ways. But I don't know. I think that's an interesting thought that some of these like smaller, more intimate plays might not be meant for Broadway. But yeah. if more people can see I it, then I say it should, you know? Yes. I do want to say, I'm, I think that people might come for me and roll their eyes when I, when I said that Billy Elliot is underrated. What I think I mean by that is it sort of left the conversation in general. What do you mean? Why would they roll their eyes at you? I never hear anyone ever talk about Billy Elliot. I know, but it it won Best Musical. You know, it's crazy. But I I do also want to say my underrated fave is probably If Then. (laughs) It didn't win any Tonys. You're on the record. It was just one of those shows. I love If Then so much. And I love Adina's solo work. Me too. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, I mean, she played two characters. She did. She did. I mean, that's a great show. It really is. Mm -hmm. And it, um, the music. I mean, the music, the music, the music. It felt very contemporary at the time. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like in both Kit and Yorkie's Next to Normal and If Then, they both use the word hey a lot. Like they'd say like, hey, you know, about anything. Going oh, on. yes. So it's, it's very cute. Is there any any more drama you want to share with me, Dylan? That um... I think the rest of it needs to be held for, for our next part of this episode, which 
we're going to jump right into over on Drama Plus. Yes. So if you all loved our chit chat here today, highly recommend you go subscribe right now to patreon.com slash the drama podcast. And for $5 a month, you'll that's get it. That's it. You'll get bonus episodes. And this conversation will continue right now because the episode already dropped. So you're going to hear us yeah. dive into our recent trip, Dylan's recent trip to New York, where we got yeah. to see this episode's already out there on our re- breakdown of Funny Girl starring Leah Michelle. But we saw Some Like It Hot. We saw Fame of the Opera. We saw Kimberly Akimbo, Almost Famous, and Aunt Juliet. And we're going to talk. And a Sherlock Carol. And a Sherlock Carol. And we're going to mention it all. That's right, as Bethany once said. Now, we might have some new listeners who joined us after the Aaron Tveit episode last week. So if, if, they're, if you're new to the party, join us online. We're at The Drama Pod on TikTok, but we're at The Drama Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us, leave us a rating, like us, love us. That's all we want. Yes, and Dylan, this was so fun. I feel like there's still so many things I want to talk about. I know, I'm like and- foaming at the mouth. <laughs> Thankfully, we will. So everyone, yes. thank you. Thanks for your support this year. We've got one more episode coming out in 2022 next week. And we're not stopping. There's there's no. going to be another new one no, the Wednesday after that. Ready. And you know what? The Wednesday after that, there will be another new one. <laughs> yep, because that's what we do here on Drama. All right, Connor. I'll see you next time. And I'll see some of you over at Drama Plus. Drama! Drama!